Welcome to the 47th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today we have Nick Bogaz, the president of Caliente Pizza and Draft House. His pizza place has six locations currently. He comes from humble beginnings. He worked at a gas station and a car wash. He also mowed lawns. He got his entrepreneurial start selling baseball cards. He was also a sports coach. Eventually, Nick got into the pizza business as a delivery driver. He wrecked a couple of cars here and there. He worked at a bunch of well-known franchises. He held some other jobs too. He sold radio advertising for a while. He was even a mailman. But he always came back to pizza. He worked his way up, bought his first store, and the rest was history. Listen to Nick's story so you can learn how to follow in his path. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Nick, can you give a brief introduction of yourself and what you do? Sure. So my name is Nick Bogaz. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I own and operate Caliente Pizza and Draft House. We have five locations. We do close to $9 million in sales. And I also run a podcast called The Business Equation. I have written a book called The Pizza Equation that's available on Amazon. And I'm also part of a company called PerfectingPizza.com. Did you ever think that you would end up in this, like what you're doing right now? Because I know you started as a delivery boy in 96. Yeah, I think uh, for me, some of it has been a dream come true because, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur, even though I didn't know it since a young age, whether it was mowing lawns or uh, flipping baseball cards on Sundays at the flea market. And then, you know, when I got into the pizza business, I just fell in love with it. And, you know, there was a certain point in my life where, where yeah, I, I just always uh, envision being successful and b- making a mark on my industry. So I would say it's, um you know, 50-50 or 75-25. Yes, I, I did envision a lot of this. Nice. That's awesome. Now, let's take it back. So you mentioned that you did a lot of things. You flipped baseball cards, you mowed lawns. So what was your first job or your first instance of sort of doing something to make money? I don't know, 10, 11 years old. There was a neighbor up the street that for 10 bucks, I could cut her lawn. It would take me, it wasn't very big, but it would take, you know, 45 minutes or, or an hour. And, uh, you know, I would cut her lawn once a week. And, and that was probably the first instance of me making money. And then my mother worked at the flea market on Sunday. She would go and sell chocolates there and I would go with her to help. And then I would be off, uh, buying baseball cards and, trading them in and all the dealers got to know me. And then I actually also volunteered a lot at a local youth foundation. And what I did was I would rent out the gym and then I would, would go to the flea market and tell all these vendors that I became friends with all these older guys, like, Hey, do you want to be part of my baseball show, my card show? So they would, you know, pay 20 bucks for a booth. I'd rent the youth foundation out for maybe 80 bucks for three hours. And then I would collect 20 bucks from 20 different vendors and I'd hold the show. You know, I was holding these baseball card shows when I was maybe like 14 or 15 years old. So what's a baseball card show? So they come, what do they pay for? So they pay for a table to be able to sell their uh, sports cards. They would pay 20 bucks. They get a table, you know, an eight foot table, and then they'd set up all their different cards. And, you know, I would advertise it at the flea market at their booths. I'd have flyers made up where they're saying, Hey, come on Saturday for this all-star baseball card show. And then we get a lot of people come through and and, uh, buy sports cards at the show. Nice. So what sort of came next? So you're mowing lawns, right? $10 in 45 minutes is pretty good for a 10-year-old. And then you made even bigger money, right, through the card show. 
what sort of came next? Did the card show get bigger or do you move on to something else? I moved on to something else, but I think even before, you know, I, you're making me think real, real deep here. And I appreciate that. I think even before 10, you know, I was uh, one of those kids that had lemonade stands. And if a neighbor had a yard sale, I was bringing over a table and trying to sell, you know, stuffed animals or whatever I'm trying to sell out of there. And I, so I think it was always ingrained in me. And I think after the sports card shows, everybody always pushes people to get a job. Like that's, you know, that's the, the big thing is, you know, get a job, not, create your own job. So, you know, here I was creating money for myself. And then you start hearing from friends and families that, you know, oh, you're old enough to drive, you're going to need to get a job to pay for that car. And, you know, that's when I started to work for somebody else. And I would work for my uncle at his butcher shop. I would work um, umpiring baseball games. The volunteer job at the youth foundation became a, a paid gig. As I got into driving at 16, 17 years old, I, I liked car stereos, so I wanted more money for that. So before I knew it, I was a 17-year-old kid working at a couple gas stations, working at a car wash, all at the same time, going to school, barely, but you know, working uh, till 10, 11 at night, and just uh, too tired to go to school a lot. And then a friend of mine was um, making a lot of money delivering pizzas for tips. And I was making tips at the car wash, and he said, I'm making more tips than you. So I said, let me try this delivering pizza thing. And uh, that's, that was my first start with delivering pizzas. Nice. Now, obviously, you held a lot of jobs. What kept you in pizza the first few years? As a young kid and volunteering at the Youth Foundation, I had have three brothers, two were younger. And I was a skinny beanpole, which equates to one thing as a kid. Uh, the coach, you know, I wasn't very good at sports. My hand eye coordination was horrible, but I love sports. I was one of those kids that would turn on Sports Center in the morning with my bowl of cereal. What I ended up doing was I would go ahead and really I got into coaching my brothers, you know, whether as the third base coach of their baseball team or I was the, the uh, floor hockey coach. And then really what happened was, is when I got into the pizza business, it felt like a team sport. And, you know, there was guys that were answering the phones and then they were handing the ticket off to somebody who would stretch the dough. And then the dough would go off to somebody who put the toppings off, who'd put it in the oven, who get an oven tender, checking for bubbles and pulling it out as fast as they can. And then slicing it up and giving it to a pizza driver to finish the whole process. And, and I just fell in love with the team atmosphere that it took, you know, 20 or 30 people on a Friday night as busy it was to make it happen. And at the end of the night, you know, people were all excited that the rush went smooth and i just fell in love with with the pizza business i think it really was the team atmosphere of it so you started off as a delivery boy how's that job i know that can either be a fun job or it can be a really hectic job how was it for you it, it was great i think anything that i i do i try to be the best at so i really wanted to be the best delivery driver and fun fact i started on a, a friday with my first day and my first delivery i wrecked my car so I come back in and, uh, and I mean, I wrecked it good. I, you know, it was out of commission for a few months. So I come back in, try talking to this guy who I just met the day before. He's, he's running a pizza oven, too busy, busy to talk to me. When I went home that night, I asked my mom, I said, Hey, can I uh, borrow your car? Cause I want to deliver pizzas still. And she said, yes. So I started using her car to deliver pizzas. Eventually I wrecked a bunch of cars delivering pizzas and I ended up inside. So when I ended up inside, that's when I really worked my ranks through shift manager to assistant manager to general manager. But I always was a, a great delivery driver. You know, I wanted to make more tips. So I would do things like, you know, turn my music down when I pulled up to someone's house, not walk on their lawn, 
walk on their sidewalk, hold the pizza up nice and high in the air. And, you know, here's your piping hot pizza, uh, pet the dog, you know, ask the kids if they're excited for pizza, whatever it may be. I just wanted to, to really uh, get the best tips out of it. And it was one of those jobs over my uh, career before I opened my own business that I always would, would feel comfortable with. So if I needed extra money, if, you know, we we're going to go on a vacation or, if, um, you know, I just needed to really get a change of pace, I would always go back to delivering pizzas. It's funny that um, I haven't really delivered pizzas, you know, since I've had my business the last eight years, but there's a lot of times in my life where that was a, a comfort level for me, where I go back to delivering pizzas. That was 96. So how much were you would be typical to make during like a night delivering pizzas? Well, I can take you a little bit to like 2009. In 2009, I was uh, delivering pizzas at three different places. You know, I was working maybe anywhere from 60 to 80 hours a week delivering pizzas at three different places. I bought my first house. It was a $170,000 house. Um, I made a down payment with, with the money from delivering pizzas. I claimed every tip. And um, yeah, I was able to to buy a house um, from delivering pizzas. Wow, that's nice. So what do you kind of see the range? And it doesn't have to be you personally for someone delivering pizza. Is it what, like you make like, what, 100 bucks a per eight hour shift? How does that sort of work? And the majority of it comes from tips, I assume. It does. I mean, you know, a lot of places will pay an hourly rate, then they'll pay uh, um, some sort of mileage, and then you keep your tips. We've seen drivers have $100, $200, $300 days. I think that it averages out somewhere around the $20 an hour range. So when you start to think about, you know, what type of job you can get that makes $20 an hour, it turns out to be, could be pretty lucrative if you're doing it more than 40 hours a week. You know, if you're working like I was 60 to 80 hours a week delivering pizzas, you know, there were weeks where I'd make close to 2000 bucks delivering pizzas. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. How is the job in terms of, is it an easy 20 bucks an hour or you're working? You're like picking up the pizzas, you're doing this, you're rushing, you're trying to figure out, you're getting lost, all that stuff. It's an enjoyable job is what it is. You know, you listen to what you want to listen to. And I think that was for me when I was going through those times where I'm delivering a lot. I'm listening on my radio to a lot of, you know, Tony Robbins and Dave Ramsey for trying to figure out, you know, financial stuff and just other just business type things. And mindset type offerings I'm listening to while I'm delivering these 60, 80 hours a week. So I'm just feeding my mind this whole time, um, kind of amping myself up for when I, when I go out on my own. So you mentioned that several times you always sort of went back to driving, like you went back and forth. What'd you do if you weren't driving? When I was 21 and my wife was 20, we got married. We had our first kid. Um, we had our second kid two years later. So we were young, raising a family. And I worked my way up to a general manager. I worked for Papa John's Domino's. And, you know, I was very successful there. I was a guy who could always raise the sales. Um, I learned how to market very young. What happened was, is, you know, I would work 80, 90 hours a week, literally. And you always hear something when you're in the restaurant business or the pizza business from friends, families, uh, whoever it may be, is that you don't have a real job. And this would always resonate with me that I didn't have a real job. So there would be times where, you know, I would try and get that quote unquote real job. There was a time where I sold radio advertising for six months. And, you know, to anybody out there that does the cold calling, more power to you. It just wasn't my thing to walk into a furniture store and talk to the owner 
and try and uh, sell them on Y Radio is going to make them sell 100 more beds a month. You know, so I just kind of hated it. And I went back to delivering pizzas. And then there was a time where, you know, I was delivering pizzas at three different places. I had bought my house. And this is like maybe 2009, 2010-ish, maybe right around there. And people still, you know, they weren't accepting. Like, oh, you can't be a pizza delivery driver forever. And I would hear this. And I said, well, okay, I got to get that quote-unquote real job again. So I took the the post office test, and I became a mailman. And everyone was like, oh, that's the greatest job. You're a mailman. Congratulations. That's so great. Well, I went there, and I realized on the very first day that that's where dreams go to die. And what I mean by that is people go there to work there. And they say, okay, for the next 30 or 40 years, I'm going to work the post office, retire, have a, uh, you know, 401k or pension and be done. They just give up on whatever life goals or dreams that they have. And, you know, there's a lot of jobs out there where dreams go to die. And that was one. So I was still delivering pizzas at three different places. I was delivering the mail during the day, driving pizzas at night and the weekends. And then a guy at the post office said, Hey, we count the money at the Civic Arena or the Pittsburgh Penguins play at night. Would you like to have um, a night job count money as many games as there are per week? And I was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. So here I was delivering three places for pizza, uh, delivering the mail, and I also was uh, counting money at the Civic Arena. So I had five jobs for roughly the next uh, two to three years, working anywhere from 90 to 110 hours a week literally like six in the morning till 12 at night, six, seven days a week. And, um, you know, I just knew that I didn't know why it was pizza, but I knew that that's what I was good at. I accepted it. And I also knew that if I was going to do it forever, I had to do it for myself. Now you realize you wanted to do it for yourself. So what was the next step that you took? At some point. So let me finish that story out. At one point, what I did was they approached me at the place I was delivering to Papa John's. They're like, hey, we know you got a reputation. The guy who I was working for was a good friend of mine. They said, hey, we're going to fire him. Uh, would you like to take his job? I was like, no. <laughs> you know, he's my buddy. I'm not taking taking his job. So a year later, after his replacement didn't work out, they were like, hey, would you take his job? And I was like, yeah, I have no you know relation to this guy. And I thought, what if I could run the Papa John's and deliver in the mail and work two jobs rather than working you know, five jobs? So that's what I did. I did that for a couple of years. It was a store that had been there 22 years, never done a million dollars in sales. They were making $27,000 a year in profit. And the first year I ran it, I took it to $147,000 in profit. And I took it to over a million dollars in sales. So here I was, I went to the pizza shop and I was like, hey, look, I'll quit the post office job. I'll just work here if you pay me X. You know, I, I didn't want exactly what I made between the two stores but I want it pretty close. And, you know, I just felt like here's this guy that just made them an extra 120,000 bucks a year. You can afford to pay me another 15 grand or so a year. And they said, Nick, these were guys that owned uh, Arby's and, and Taco Bell's and Papa John's and oil and gas wells and real estate. They, I was a number to them. And they said, if you leave, we'll just um, sell it. Like no big deal. You know that we pay you what the industry standard is and that's what we're going to, going to pay you. So, that was the point where I was like, all right, I got to do this myself. So that store was in the Oakland part of uh, Pittsburgh, which has University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon. And I said, all right, I'm going to walk into pizza shops and I'm going to tell them I want to buy their shop. So I'd walk in. I'd be like, hey, sell me your shop. And they'd say, get the hell out of here. Well, the, the fifth guy said, my buddy has a shop over in Bluefield. And I walked in 
And um, I said, oh, shit, it's a bar. And I walked in the back, full pizza kitchen, everything I needed. And I sat down and um, I said to the guy, hey, I want to buy your shop. And he said, well, it's 185000 bucks." I said, okay, well, I said, um, I don't have any money. I said, you know, but I want to buy it. So how are we going to do it? And he said, what do you mean you don't have any money? Why are you trying to buy? Why are you wasting my time? And I said, look. And I told him everything I was doing, all these shops I ran, how successful I was, how many hours I worked. And he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. The first nine months, we won't switch it out of my business name, but it's yours. And after nine months, you give me what you saved up, and then I'll finance the rest over the next five years. So on a handshake, I bought my first restaurant. Wow. So now the dream is real, right? How did you feel? Like now you bought your first shop. How did it feel for you? Felt like it just began. I didn't feel like I did anything. I felt like no matter what, I'm not going to fail. If I need to sleep here for the next four years and never go home to be successful, that's what I'll do. You know, I didn't feel like anything yet. I didn't feel like, um, oh, I don't have to mop the floor anymore because I'm the owner. I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like I'm going to give it everything I got. No matter what, I'm going to make it. I'm going to show everybody who ever thought that I didn't have a real job that I'm going to have way more than just a real job. What year was this when you bought 2012. How was it the first year? Well, you know, it was interesting because, um, you know, the store did maybe 3000 bucks a week. So it was like, you know, not very busy. Um, my wife and I had never worked together because she was a stay-at-home mom. My kids were 12 and 10 at the time. We decided that, hey, this is going to be a family affair. She was going to run the front and really be the bartender and, and the server and the hostess and all in one and really uh, be the face of the restaurant. And I was going to be the back. And also the operation side of it. So, you know, there's a learning curve of working with your wife. We work great together now. It took us a few years. I think we learned what each other one does better than the other. And we stay in our lanes. So that was part of the first year. The other part was just uh, building. You know, every time I went in, I had to make sure that when I left that night, that something was different. Whether it was stuff on the walls or a new menu was made or a new item was tested, whatever it was, a new employee was hired. Like every day we were working on the business, you know, about a year in when we were doing, you know, 14, 15,000 bucks a week and had raised it that much, you know, I knew by then that we had something and it was going to be successful. How has the pizza industry sort of changed over time? Basically, the biggest change has been the culinary side of it. You know, I think there was a lot of times where people just figured that pizza was, um, you know, just this quick. It didn't really matter too much what the taste like was as long as, as long as there was a lot of cheese on it or something like that. But over time, the pizza makers have really understood that they are perfecting a craft. And, you know, they've taken baking classes, whether it's baking bread or they're going to Italy and they're trying to figure out how to make a better pizza and learning and then the internet has evolved learning so much and people have really tried to make a better pizza. So I think the the biggest part of where pizza has changed is people are trying to make better pizzas and make better dough. And I think that's really where everything has changed. I mean, we've had a lot of pickup and delivery pizza for years. I'm sure there's the restaurant side of it, but I think what, what's changed is I actually think the pizza is way better today than it was 20 years ago. Now, was there ever a point in time where you kind of saw a lot of evolution in pizza? Like, was there a period of time where, I don't know, companies just picked up? Well, I think you see with like a Domino's, you see how they use a lot of the technology. You know, they're almost more of a technology um, company than anything else. I mean, even before Uber was popular, 
you would see on Domino's commercials how they would say, you know, here you can track your pizza, track it from the time you order to the their POS system was logged in that when it clicked off the make line, you knew it was in the oven. Um, you knew when somebody was, the driver would punch it out and it was on its way. And then you could watch your pizza come to your house. So I think uh, technology has changed it. I think online ordering. I remember probably 2002 when the very first online order would come through and you'd maybe get one or two a day. Now you're getting maybe 60% online orders. So I think technology has really changed the pizza industry over the last 20 years, you know, on top of the baking part that I talked about. In addition to all the work you put in into your stores, what else made you successful? Because you mentioned that you sort of listened to, you know, business stuff. Because I've seen a lot of people, they open pizza stores, right? And whatever, they don't really hit it. They don't really make it to have it be that successful or it ends up closing shop after a few years. So what are the other things that you did in addition to doing the work that sort of you're like, hey, I'm going to set myself apart? Well, I think this is one of the things that made me excited to be on this podcast is, you know, I didn't go to college. And I think a lot of times people take it one or two ways. They either feel like a failure that they didn't go to college or they take it with a badge of honor that they didn't go to college and they want to shove it down everyone's throat. You know, and I think that's how, you know, in the beginning, sure, everybody has that little bit of failure part. I think, you know, oh, I didn't go to college. And then, and then you get to a point in your life where you can just embrace that. I'm going to shove it down everyone's throat that I never went to college. Like I love when people ask me if I went to college now, you know, I think it's uh, one of my, my great things that, that I can be like, no, you know, now I'm not saying I don't push my kids to go to college. I'm just saying that, that there was a point where I really embraced it. And I think, you know, what happened was, is when I was 28 and I was running these this store in the city, or coached, I say, you know, that's back to the team atmosphere of it. I led a lot of these young college kids um, at the pizzeria. Like they were my employees and they would need off every once in a while on the weekends and for school. And I'd be like, well, what are you doing for, for school? Like, what do you need off for? Well, I got to read this book. And then the next college kid would say, hey, I need this weekend off. Well, what do you got to do? I got to read these two books. You know, and then everything they kept saying was they're reading this, they're reading that. And I was like, you know, wait a second. I think that's what college is. Like all college really is, is it, it's a lot of reading, you know? So I said to myself, all right, I'm going to put myself through my own college, but I want to learn how to negotiate for the next six months. I'm going to read every negotiating book I can get my hands on. If I want to learn personal finance, I'm going to read every personal finance book I can for the next six months. If I want to learn business skills, I'm going to read business books for the next six months. If I want to learn customer service, I'm going to read every customer service book I can for the next six months. And what happened was, as I started to really read, because I like reading as a kid. I remember going to the library. My mom would always take us, and we'd go for book clubs and stuff like that and sit around and listen to the old lady read us books. And, you know, so I like, I like to read, but, you know, there's a certain point where, as you grow up as a teenager and stuff, like reading's not cool anymore. So then, then I didn't go to college and then I'm figuring out that this is what I think college is all about. And I start to read. And when I'm reading, you know, sometimes when you read a book, the author always mentions another book in that book. And the book that kept getting mentioned was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It just kept coming up in every book I read. So, so I guess I got to check this book out. And when I read it, it changed everything. Absolutely everything. I've read it 15 times now. Every time I read it, I'm on a different point in my life. So I grab different stuff out of the book. I more study it than read it now. And I really think that was it. That was the one that, you know, there was different concepts that it would talk about. Don't worry about the how, you know, just picture the end result. And that, that was a lot of what I was doing. 
somewhere along there, I fell into watching the movie The Secret. I can't even tell you how many times I've watched The Secret. Same type concept there, the the law of attraction. And I just have became enthralled with the the law of attraction. And I think that it kind of shows like my story of how I bought the store with, with no money. Like that's a crazy story. Who the heck's gonna go buy a pizza shop with no money or a full restaurant, 185 grand? But um, you know, I, I just pictured that I did it. So you know, you asked the question. Did I envision all this or did I think that I would be successful? Like, did I think I would do all these things? Yeah, I, I, I did because I didn't dream it. I really just uh, visioned it and I visioned it like it already happened. So you mentioned that when you read, you read a lot, right? It's not like, hey, I'm going to read one book on negotiation. I'm going to read every book you can. How many years of reading led to sort of changes in your place, right? Or was it that once you learned negotiation, that added certain percentage to your business. Once you learn customer service, that added another aspect to your business. Well, that's a great question. You know, I think part of really the learning process is self-awareness. And in that self-awareness process, it's a journey. You learn different things about yourself. And one of the things you learn is how you learn, if that makes sense. You you learn how you as a person learn. And everybody learns at a different rate and they learn different ways. And as a young kid, I was always put in a learning disability class, but nobody could ever give me a quote unquote, what was wrong with me. They couldn't say he was ADHD or he had dyslexia. They couldn't figure it out, you know, but they always said that I had uh, some sort of learning disability. Now, when I got to middle school, that kind of went away. It was really like third and fourth grade and maybe even a little bit of fifth grade. They thought that I should be in learning disability classes, but they didn't know why. And I think as I got older, what I realized was, I pick up things a little slower. Like when I read, I may pick a lot of it up the first time through, but I really, over time, those things start to resonate and I pick it up longer. So sometimes I have to read things twice and it just kind of sticks with me. And I think, you know, that's, that's part of it is like understanding how you learn. So, you know, how I learn is I'll read a book and I may take that book and digest it and get a couple different things out of it, but then I'll visit it again. You know, whether it's six months or a year later, or maybe it's, uh, you know, I read it the first time and I audio book it the second time. And then there's things where, you know, I can apply to my business or to my personal life. And it seems like if I find some of these books that are my favorites, it's nothing for me to read them. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've read, um, how to win friends and influence people or think and grow rich or the roller coaster entrepreneur. There's books that I just, I mean, they're like your favorite movies. You know, when you say, Hey, I, you know, I love watching this, this movie. I can watch it a hundred times. You know, I'm the, I'm the same way with books. Now, when you had the restaurant, when did you feel was a big inflection point in the restaurant, right? You had the first thing where you kind of took it to, I think, whatever, 15,000 a week in sales or something like that. When was the next big milestone? So there's a couple different milestones. I, I think one of it was, is when I started off, I said, how am I going to be successful? And for me, it was three things. Very simple. When I could buy a car from this century, because I was the $500 car king, I could pick a $500 car, drive it till it dies and go get another $500 car. I didn't have any car loans. I was just the king of $500 cars. So when I could buy a new car uh, from this century, that was goal number one. Another one was I wanted to buy a little bigger house. I mean, who doesn't, right? So that was kind of part of it. And then the the third one was my kids were 12 and 10. I didn't have a single penny saved for college. So when I knew how I was going to pay for their college, 
I felt like I'd be successful. So what happened after the first year in business, I realized I was going to be able to do all three of those things. So I had to really judge myself. You know, how am I really going to judge my success? And I realized that when the people who work for me can do those things for their families, then I will be successful. So what does that mean? That means that I have to open more stores because I, I can't just create career positions at one store because that's the store I'm working at. I need to create other stores so other people can work there and I can build careers for them through my company. So the, the next big part was when we opened the second store. You know, we opened our first store in September 2012 and the second store we took over in October of 2014. And um, very similar, you know, I heard that the store was for sale. It was in my hometown. My wife actually worked there in high school serving beers. We went in, the, the owner kind of knew us. And when she come out to take our order, she said, are you here to buy the restaurant? And we said, yeah. And she said, well, we want 135,000 bucks. And I said, okay. I said, yeah, that sounds like a good price. We'll, we'll buy it. She said, you'll buy it? I said, yeah. I said, well, let's figure out how we're going to pay you. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't have all, all that money. I said, what if I give you uh, 50,000 down? Cause that's what I had saved in two years from, uh, running the store, you know, more than a little bit more than that. I said, I'll give you the 50,000 down. And they said, okay, let me ask my husband. She goes back to ask her husband who's cooking the burgers. She comes out and she says, ah, he said that, you know, we need like a hundred thousand down. I said, well, you know, we could give you the 50. That's what we have. And uh, we'll give you what you're asking for. We'll pay you over five years. We'll give you 6% interest and, uh, we can get this deal done done if, right now if you want she goes back and tells them she comes out and um before we even ordered our meal that day we bought our second restaurant how is owning two different than one do you feel like it's totally different ball game or it's just same thing as one but you got to be smart about it a lot of people think that the second location is a kiss of death for us it wasn't it was real close to our hometown so you know it was five minutes from my house i go there in the morning get everything right go to the next door get everything right down there for the day come back, finish the night out, and then, you know, go home in five minutes. No big deal, really. And, you know, the other part was we really felt like you asked, like, when was that aha moment of knowing, like, boy, you're successful or something Something happened that, that kind of made me think, like, we had something. I really thought it was going to be friends and family that would support the second store because it was in our hometown. And the first first weekend when we were super busy and I looked around and realized that the place is packed, and there wasn't one person in there that was a friend or a family. I realized the name of uh, our business meant something. And that's when I was like, wow, I, I've got something here. So there was that part of it. And then so the second store really wasn't the store that was difficult to run. It really wasn't. I took one of my guys that was helping me a lot for two years at the first store and put him in charge down there completely. And I came up uh, to the second store and I brought one of the guys that was helping me at the first store and gave him, you know, in charge of the second store. And um, one of the things that I learned a lot while I was working all these um, post office and at the other other job running the Papa John's was when I was at the post office 40, 50 hours a week and I was responsible for for running a Papa John's supposed to be 40 or 50 hours a week. You learn how to delegate. And that's really what I learned there was how to delegate, manage people, because I had no choice. You know, I was stuck at the post office. I, I couldn't be there if somebody didn't show up. I couldn't be there. If something went wrong, you learn how to delegate and get things done. So, you know, it was natural with the first two stores to be able to delegate and put people in charge. Now, when we went to the third store, we opened the third store in 2016. So another two years, April of, 
about a year and a half, April of 2016 from October of 14, uh, second to third store. Now, when we did that, that's when uh, the ch- company changed because what happened was a couple of different things. I went from knowing everybody in the company to having maybe 35 employees and that the third store is much bigger. So now we had 70 employees. So we kind of doubled the size of the, the company. So I learned that I really had to have a lot of communication and meetings. And then the other part was you find out where your operations are weak. You know, you run into they're making a pepperoni pizza different at the first place than they're making at the second place than that they're making at the third place. So we had to put all kind of systems in place of how we make our pizzas, how we clean the restaurants, you know, how we count our money, everything. Everything had to be broken down into systems at the third store. Now you, you have three stores. When did the fourth store come in? Fourth store was 2018. So another uh, two years is when we got the fourth store. By the time we got the fourth store, we had the third store kind of figured out. It was really tough financially running three stores. That was the other thing that I had brought on a regional chef who was like my director of operations or supervisor. So he was roaming all three stores. I brought on a back of the house office manager who's doing all the, the operations behind the scenes. So I really had, you know, two full-time positions that I was paying on top of paying the restaurant. So really, it was really tough financially from three stores. We got the four stores. It seemed like it, it flatlined it out a little bit as far as like we were kind of not quite making money, but we were, we were still um, in a good spot and you could see that it was going to be, be profitable going forward. So really, you know, I brought on a, a marketing director because I was doing all the marketing myself for probably the first five or six years of the company. It was a, a lady that worked for me as a hostess, as a phone girl, as a server, finally as a manager. She went and got her degree uh, in marketing and said, hey, I love the company. I'd like to stay. So she did. And she's been my marketing director ever since. And then when we got to the fifth store in 2019, everything came together. You know, all the came profitable, everything came together. And it seemed like um, that was really the store where, where everything came together. So in, you know, 2012, late 2012 to January of 2019, so like six and a half years, we opened up five restaurants doing between eight, and nine million bucks. And then fast forward to 2020, we had a store that was going to open in April for store six. And we all know what happened uh, right around the middle of March when COVID hit. We put it on hold till July. And then when COVID was still around, this was going to be our biggest restaurant with the biggest rent and the biggest square footage. We just killed the deal. I paid the, uh, paid some fees for good faith contracts and stuff like that and just kind of ate it and said, uh, when we get out of COVID, we'll, we'll go forward and open more stores. But for now, we're just working on building our mid-level managers up to upper managers and really working on our systems once again. What was something you struggled with in your early career that you no longer struggle with now? Boy, that's a great question. I think it goes really back to the self-awareness part because, you know, you heard me mention a few times about people saying that you don't have a real job. And I think in the beginning and even the, the whole college thing, you hear people say, oh, you didn't go to college. And, and I think a lot of times what you find yourself doing is listening to other people. And that can be really dangerous when you start to listen to all those voices. Things that I've heard along the way is if you want to soar like an eagle, you can't hang out with turkeys. You know, stuff like that. And I think that's kind of what would change. So I think maybe my opinion of what other people's opinions of me over time um, have not mattered as much as they did before. I think that just really understanding who I am 
makes that better. I think that's a lot of it is you, you got to find out a whose opinions. It's not even their opinions, but you know, finding the right mentors, people who have done things that you want to do. And, you know, sometimes people are like, well, how the heck do I find a mentor? Maybe it's, you know, somebody that you just love, love their books. And, you know, man, I, there was, there's been people that I've never met, but they've been mentors to me. You know, can't tell you how many hours of Tony Robbins that I've listened to, but like he's was an early mentor of mine. And I think, um, you know, that's what you got to do. You just got to latch on to people that ha- have done things that you want to do. And whether it's, um, you know, however you connect with them and just really change the way that, that you think about yourself and, and stay positive. I think that's a, a lot of it too, is figuring out what things trigger you, make you um, negative, get you down when you can uh, figure out those things and then start to put things in place that'll, that'll stop those, those habits. I think that's where a lot of success comes from. What are some mistakes you sort of made that people should avoid in the industry if they're getting in? I think there's a lot of different mistakes people can make. You know, I, I think, um, one would be going back to what I was just saying is taking advice from people that have never done it before. I think a, another part of it would be is trying to cheat the system in any way. You know, everything always comes back to get you. So you might as well do everything above grade. I think the other part that I learned right away was, you know, you have to have the right lawyers. I think a lot of times when you open a business, people think, Oh, I need a lawyer. So they ask mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, hey, do you have a lawyer? And oh, yeah, I got a, here's our family lawyer. And really, you know, the guy's, uh, he may be a a real estate attorney, or he may be a a DUI attorney. He's not really a business lawyer, you know, so he'll do it because it's a favor. And then, um, you know, two years later, when something comes up in a deal, and you go back on your, your contract, and it's written like crap, and then you say to the lawyer, like, hey, why didn't you protect me on this? And he goes, oh, I'm a DUI lawyer. Like, I just did it as a favor. So, you know, lawyers or have specific functions. So if you need a business lawyer, that's what you need. If you need a real, you're doing a real estate deal, you need a real estate lawyer. If you have a problem in your restaurant or in your business with some kind of employee situation, you need a human resource resource lawyer. So there's all different types of, of lawyers that you need. I personally work with a firm that, you know, they have a, a firm of 12 or 15 different lawyers that each lawyer specializes in something special. So, you know, I could still call my, my, the main attorney, the, the law firm and say, Hey, uh, this is what I've got going on. And he'll say, okay, yeah, we'll put you on a jack line three. He takes care of all the, um, trademarking issues or whatever it may be. So, you know, that's a big lesson is, is making sure you got the right lawyers, the right accountants, uh, the right team around you, not just the people who work for you, but the people who work with you. If you were to sort of start again, right? You're starting again now, right? With the knowledge you have. What would you sort of do differently, especially given the, you know, business environment? I think if I was to do anything different, I think I would have started a communication that we had in like year three or four earlier. We have a GM meeting with my five GMs and my district supervisor and some of the other executives on our team every single Monday at eight o'clock. I mean, doesn't matter where you're at, what time of year it is, uh, eight o'clock on a Monday, we're on a phone call every single Monday. First Tuesday of every month, we're on an all-manager meeting. Now it's been Zoom. And the third Tuesday of every month is upper managers on a meeting. So communication is one of those things that if you're not communicating with your team, they can kill you. And a lot of times when people think about meetings, they may think, well, you're in a pizza company, you have meetings. Like, you know, but if you talk to somebody that has a job at a bank or sales or whatever it be, they have all kinds of meetings. Like, 
communication's key. So if I had to start it over, we probably in year three or four really started to have meetings. I would have had way more meetings in the very beginning. What's sort of the future of the sort of pizza industry that you kind of see? You know, I think it's it's twofold. Before I gave a keynote speech in 2019 in October at the Pizza and Pasta Expo, and I really saw sit down eating to be a big thing that it was coming back where families want to come out and enjoy a pie, watch a sports game. And, you know, boy, COVID's really shifted that, right? Like nobody's able to go sit down and eat a pie. It's all third-party delivery and delivery and everything else. I think where it's going is is it's definitely going to that pickup and delivery model again for a while. I think that where we are right now in a sense of restaurants there is some restaurants just are never going to open again, you know, and it, it's a shame. It really is all over different parts of the country are hit way harder. You know, New York, where you are devastating. The way I lo- am looking at it is, you know, back in 1987, Wall Street crashed and the savvy investors became millionaires and billionaires afterwards. 2008, when the uh, housing market collapsed, you know, s- savvy um, investors Real estate investors have built, you know, multi-million dollar companies over the last 12 years because of the crash. So I'm looking at it the same way. I'm looking at it when this thing, the everything kind of settles, there's going to be times for the restaurateurs to go out and uh, create their generational wealth. So that that's really the way I'm looking at it right now. Now, you obviously did a lot more in the sense that you wrote a book and you started a podcast. What motivated you to do that? Well, I always wanted to write a book. You know, I, I just always, I've always wanted to write my book. So when all this good success started to happen and, you know, my regional chef that I talked about when he came aboard in 2016, 2015, I went to the International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas and there was a culinary competition. And I thought to myself, man, I'm, a, I'm more of like the operations guy, the team leader. That's more my spot. But I was like, I know someone who could win these culinary competitions. It was my good friend who had helped me in the beginning with pick different vendors and different things with the food. He was a good friend of mine. He was a executive chef, white tablecloth type establishment. So when I went back from Las Vegas, I said, Hey, I want you to join Caliente. We had two stores at that time. He's like, you're crazy. I'm a fine dining chef. Why am I going to make pizzas? And I told him about the culinary side. And I said, look, I said, this is what I'm building. Like I can get you to a point where you're making more than what you're making here. And um, he gave a three-month notice at his restaurant. He was at seven years, to give you an idea what type of guy he is. And he joined me. And in 2016, went out to the International Pizza Expo, and he won the uh, best pan pizza in the world. In 2017, we went out, and one of my guys won the world's largest pizza stretch. In 2018, we went out, and my chef again won the uh, best non-traditional pizza in the world. And then 2018, we got named to the World Pizza Champions team, which is uh, 35 esteemed pizza makers and we travel all over the world london italy and uh, make pizzas 2019 uh, we went over my chef won the um, best american pizza in parma italy for 2019 so here we are in the shops touting that we're three-time world champions best pizza in america 2019 as voted on in italy and i decided i want to write my book the pizza equation slicing up how to run a successful pizza enterprise after doing that, I had a lot of people reaching out to me, asking me different questions. I became a voice in the industry, gave a lot of seminars, gave a keynote speech. And I said, boy, if I can help everybody in the pizza industry, a lot of stuff that I've learned through the hard knocks of not going to college, 
applies to other small businesses. So I said, what if I started a podcast and I just coined it the business equation after my book, The Pizza Equation. And now I'm, you know, 80 episodes into the, the business equation. The first 20 started off with me giving tips and strategies. And then the last 60 or so, I've had some great guests from all different industries talking about business, talking about mindset, how important mindset is to, to running businesses. And really, that's that's been my focus is how can I help small businesses grow? What else do you go into the pizza equation? So you mentioned running the business, running all the operations. What else do you talk about? So a lot of it's my story, you know, the the journey of the different jobs. Um, a lot of it's straight up different tips and tactics of how I have sold pizzas. Some of it just talks basically brought about the, the pizza industry. But a lot of it is really just a, a good read. It's it's a feel-good story. You get to hear how many different jobs and, you know, the different stuff that I talked about on this podcast or in the book. And I think a, a lot of it is just, you know, my journey and really what it takes. And I think for somebody out there that's like never open up a pizza shop and they think they want to, they read the book and it, it uh, you understand how much hard work it takes to to be successful. What type of people fail in the pizza business? Well, I think it's it's the same as as anything in life. You know, when it's not just the pizza business, you got to be honest with yourself of how much work you're really putting in. You know, it's like anything, anything that you're doing. If if you're not successful or not having the results that you're getting, um, or you know, here I am running a company with 200 employees and something goes wrong, I have really decided that a few years ago I had to have a deep look at myself and say, who do I blame when things don't go right? You know, even if it's you know, something at the store goes wrong, the way a customer was handled or something that you would think has nothing to do with me because I haven't, maybe I haven't been there in four days, but something goes wrong at the restaurant. Like, who do I blame? And and what it became was, you know, I got to blame myself. And sometimes that's uh, taking my dog on a 45 minute walk and not turning around till it just pops into my head that, yep, this is how I was wrong. You know, I didn't train so-and-so the right way or you know, I should have done this different or I should have done that different. And, you know, it's being honest with yourself about your failures. And I think that's that's who you see fail in the pizza business. I see how you see people fail in business and life is they're just not honest with themselves about um, the struggles. You know, they, they put blame off to other people. They make excuses. But when you can really be self-aware enough to blame yourself and then find the reason for what it was, and go ahead and, and change that, that's when everything changes in your life. Now, you mentioned that you always got hit with, hey, when do you have a real job? When are you going to get a real job? When did that change? When did people sort of stop saying that? You know, the, the quick answer would be, you know, when those people change into saying, I can't believe you bought another Cadillac. You know, <laughs> that's it. that type of hate just changes. And I think that's what you got to understand, too, is some people are just always going, you know, they're so upset in their own life that they're just always going to have something to say about everyone else's life. And that's kind of, you know, a lot of what I'm talking about is you, you got to worry about yourself. Don't worry about everybody else. So that's kind of just the answer to that is there are things that they say just change to what they say. And then, you know, I think there are some people that they're just happy to see. Um, you do have people who care about you that maybe said that your mother or your father. And I think when they see, you know, it's not that you prove them wrong. Because I think a lot of times they believe in you, but they just couldn't see your dream because it was your dream and not their dream. So when they start to, you know, when my dad would walk into one of the new restaurants and on, he'd be the, you know, Friday night, be the first Friday we're opening and I'd want him there so bad. And he'd 
come in and he would look around and they couldn't even get a seat. My own family couldn't sit down because they're so busy. And he just would look at me and be like, you have a golden horseshoe up your ass. <laughs> it was like the best compliment. I love when my dad would say that to me, you know, and I just think that those are the type of things that um, there are people who would say something about a real job that really just wanted to see you do well in life. And then there's people that would say that, that, you know, they, like I said, they just complain about everything in everyone else's life. So now over the years, how have coworkers and managers sort of described working with you, given that you don't have a college degree? How did they describe it? It goes back to the golden rule. You know, how you treat others is, is how they treat you. Treat each other like how you want to be treated. All that stuff's true, you know, and I think I've tried really hard to be a good boss and a good leader. And I think the other thing that I've done is there's a point in the economy a couple of years ago when everybody would say, you know, the economy was doing well and, and you couldn't find workers anywhere. People like, I can't, it didn't matter if you were a gas station or Jiffy Lube, a quick oil change, a roofer, a builder, or a pizza restaurant, it didn't matter what you are. People would be like, man, I can't find anybody to work for me, you know, it, or if you did, it's like a, a real bad quality of, of a worker. So that's when we realized like, hey, we've got to go and make sure we can retain our people. What can we do to retain them? You know, and, and that's what we focused on. We didn't focus on hiring. We focused on retaining. Anyone who works for us for a year, they get a shirt on the side that says one year's of service. They work two, three, four, five years, they get a five years of service. I have an employee that works for me since the very first store hired her two weeks after we opened. So eight years she's, she's worked for me, going to be nine in September. You know, we have lots of fives and sixes and sevens and fours and threes. I just try to be honest. And, and I think that's a lot of it is just treating people right, being honest. It's a great thing when you can look back and there's a picture on our website that's got 25 managers that I took to Atlantic City to see my keynote. This was two, almost two years ago now. I think out of the 25 people, two don't work for us. So one moved to Oklahoma to be closer to his, uh, his family and the other one moved to Ohio to, to be closer to, to his family. So it wasn't, you know, we got 23 people out of 25 and a picture from two years ago that still work for us. Yeah. That's just, you try to treat people the right way. How many employees do you have now? You know, pre COVID, we we're real close to 200. You know, we still have a lot of hostesses that are out. We've consolidated a lot because we're not quite as busy. We were somewhere around the 160 range. Yeah. So now what's the next big milestone for you? Well, I think, you know, in the pizza, pizza world, it's definitely that next door. You know, we want to make sure we put COVID behind us. Want to open the next door. I think it'll feel really well when we do. So that's kind of out there. I think personally, I just want to keep helping small businesses uh, wherever I can, trying to build that. As you know, running a podcast isn't as easy as, as people make it out to be. It's, you know, one of those things where there's, I think a million seven podcasts or something like that. It's polluted. So, you know, trying to make an impact in that world is, is tough. And I think, you know, that's where that's at. And I think the other part is, you know, just trying to leave a mark. I always like to give back. And I think a lot of times people think, you know, give back in terms of financial and sure I do that. And, but I also think you got to give back in your time, your energy, your knowledge. And, you know, really that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not trying to monetize the, um, the podcast, I'm just trying to give back. Let's start to wrap up. Any sort of final things that you kind of want to get off your chest to just listeners who are sort of the younger listeners? The message, I get asked that question a lot at the end of the podcast, like, what do you want people to take from this? And I think what what's important is to take, you know, don't judge your past. 
wherever your path took you, that's where it took you. Start now, start today, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. You know, there's plenty of things that through everything that I shared, you know, that I didn't share a lot of struggles. I didn't share a lot of, a lot of heartache, but they were there, you know, and everybody goes through those type of things. And I think don't worry about your past. Just start today. Start wherever you're at. You, you can do it. Just start now. How would people get in contact with you? How can people sort of support you? You can find me at nickbogaz.com. My last name is B-O-G-A-C-Z, which is like animalcatzebra.com. Social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Hopped on Clubhouse lately, so you can find me on Clubhouse. The other spots to find me, the podcast is The Business Equation. And you can go ahead and find The Business Equation. Every Monday, we put out a new episode. You can find it anywhere that there's a uh, podcast. My book, The Pizza Equation, you can find on Amazon. And I actually have been last month or so, you know, I'm so serious about helping small businesses that my phone number is 412-818-3402. Shoot me a text. You know, I'm more than happy to help anybody I can. All right. Thank you, Nick. It was such a pleasure hearing your story, hearing your struggles, hearing your rise to success. And I wish you the best in the future. Hey, thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com. Yeah. So, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. Linked insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.